What is going on? What is going on? It's your girl, Melba Pearson, Melba for Miami, Melba for Justice, also known as the resident legal diva. And you know what day and time it is. It is Monday, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And that means Mondays with Melba. Super excited to have my guest on for today. Uh, as you know, this month, I'm doing a series around black female judges who are running to defend their seat this August in Miami. So I want you all to like get to know them. It's Women's History Month. We just came off of Black History Month, which is 365 in my world. So it is time for y'all to meet Julie Harris Nelson. <laughs> so we're giving you the real experience. Welcome yes, yes. Good, good evening. I'm sorry, You've, you have caught me in my real world, okay? So this is me, all righty. And of course, um, I am traveling. I am always on the move. I am just so blessed to just be able to share with you a little bit about myself. And I am just, you know, thank you, Melba. This is just awesome. It's absolutely awesome. And I pardon the noise from outside, but this is what we do. I am on the move all the time, going from one place to another, serving and doing things for the community. So what you see is exactly what you get. <laughs> Love it. All right, so let's dive right in. You know, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, where you're from, and you know what made you want to get on the bench. Okay, absolutely. So you know that I am originally, if you haven't known by now, I'm originally from Detroit, Michigan. I moved down to Florida in 1991 to attend St. Thomas University. I went to the University of Michigan undergrad and was in the business school there. Uh, fell in love with South Florida, visiting new schools because before I went to law school, I was a financial aid administrator. And I came down to South Florida actually to recruit kids, minority students, to the University of Michigan. And I said, wow, this will be a great place to live. And so I applied to law schools down here and as well as up in the Midwest. Um, but of course, I decided that I wanted to try something new and move down to Florida in 1991. But I'm proud to say, and we're not going to let my Michiganders know, I've actually lived in Florida longer than I've lived in Michigan. So it has been just a, a blessing. I made my home here, uh, made my family here. And it's just, it's just a one, uh, just wonderful to be able to serve the community. And as you know, that I've been, you know, I've been involved in service organizations since I was uh, 19 years old. So I don't know if you want me to go into that. Absolutely, or yeah. <laughs> Tell us about the, the service organizations that are closest to your heart because I swear you, you stay on the road volunteering and you're like at everybody's charity event, putting stuff together. I mean, you you out there. So tell folks about that. So, well, that that's me. I love, I love serving and I think that it really comes from uh, the background of having parents that are educators. And my grandmother uh, was an educator. She used to, she taught uh, children that were in high school how to read at one of the roughest city schools in the city um, in the city of Detroit. Um, but my my family of they've always instilled to me instilled into me 
the concept of, of giving back. So when I went off to college, um, I became a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, and it's a service organization like many of the Divine Nine organizations. And it's interesting because although we may have joined when we were in college, they are a lifelong organization. So, you know, it's just awesome to be a part of such strong groups of women. And when we say Divine Nine, all of the service organizations that give back to the community. And of course, you know that I'm uh, president of the Miami chapter of Jack and Jill of America. And um, we do a lot. We do a lot, not just for our kids, but for all children. And that's one of the biggest things that we promote. It's just not, we're not just selfish. We teach our children how to give back, right? And because our children are blessed with so many things and if we don't teach them to give back, who's going to do that, right? Yeah. Uh, so I do that and folks always ask me, well, how do you do how are you involved in all of these things? But the same thing, one thing that remains constant in every organization that I serve in is giving back, whether or not it's through different activities, serving food to the poor or, or donating socks to veterans or putting on programs uh, to promote reading. That's something that every organization can do. And it's it's funny because this is what I envisioned myself continuing to do as I became involved um, became a member of the judiciary giving back because we are public service servants and that's what we're expected to do. That's what we must do. You know, because that is part of our responsibilities, not only to um, to make judgments and, 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 and preside over cases, but it's what it is about public service. And um, so that's me. That's me. And um, and of course, it. you know, I served in our beloved Gwyneth Cherry Black Women Lawyers Association and been a member of FALL. And to be a part of such, and I'm gonna say unique organizations, they are key. They are key because we serve as representatives for the community, you know? And so, you know, you see these little kids, they're looking, they're saying, wow, I wanna grow up to be like that person, or yeah. I wanna grow up to do the things that, that she is doing. So it's just a blessing to be able to serve Melba. It really is. So let's talk a little bit more. So clearly you've been doing service work since the age of 19. So this is nothing that's like new, like, oh, look, I just got elected. Let me start being in the community, right? Like you've been in the community for a very long time. But tell us mm -hmm. about why you wanted to be on the bench, why you wanted to be a judge. Well, i let you in on a secret. So one day, as you know, I was a prosecutor. Um, I was one of uh, Kathy Rundle's first um, prosecutorial classes. And um, I went to branch court and, you know, we, we have all of the different branch co courts around Miami-Dade County. And I went in and often I would never see anyone that looked like me. And it's important to have representation. And I walked into this small little courthouse, uh, the Caleb Center. 
and out came this woman, uh, this jurist making all of these decisions. And I was like, wow, wow, this is amazing. I want to be like her. I want to be like her. I really, really do. Because with these such strong positions require strong minds and bodies to make decisions. People that you can trust to follow the law and to do the right thing. And it is no easy task. It's different. You know, you, you're able to look at a judge and say, oh, it's easy to be a judge, but judges must be humble. They must think on their feet and they must see the big picture of what's going on at the same time That's as hard. following the law. And being in county court, that is the people's court, especially in the division that I work in. So what division do you work in? Tell everybody sort of like what your day-to-day -day looks like, the kind of cases you hear, and sort of like what, what, what was it what you expected or was it a lot different than what you thought it would be? You know, share a little bit about that. Um, you know, I don't know what I really expected but I can tell you the first day that I walked into criminal court, I work in uh, county criminal at the REG building, the Gersten uh, building uh, that's located across from the state attorney's office and the public defender's office, as well as Jackson uh, Hospital. And it was like this sense of, wow. I'm here. And you know how when you go someplace, you get a good feeling about where you are? And I thought to myself, oh, this is where I was meant to be, making decisions, going in and listening to folks. But to answer your question, the type of cases that I hear, I can hear a variety of cases from um, thefts, petty thefts, to batteries, to trespass. And I think that county court uh, criminal is more comprised of driving with license suspended, uh, DUIs, those sort of cases. And why do I like it? It sort of gives me that opportunity to teach young prosecutors and public defenders with respect to how to proceed with cases, show them the, pro uh, the protocol, if you will. Um, also, for the people that come in, they are just regular people like me and you. Some may have fallen on hard times, some may not. Some may just need a teachable moment. Uh, but we have to realize that this is criminal court. And uh, although we are doing criminal court via Zoom, it's sort of a hybrid right now, and you can come in person, I always have to to teach people that this is Zoom court, but it's Zoom criminal court and it is real court with real consequences. So come to court with the shirt on. You don't lay down while you're coming to, <laughs> to criminal no, court, but you know, no. it may seem funny, but these are the things that we have to teach people. And a lot of times in this new world of Zoom, they have no idea, you know, but and it's our job to teach them. And, um, but it's, but it's interesting because you get folks on, you know, you can have a bench trial via Zoom. You hear your, you have your evidentiary uh, motions heard. They can be done via Zoom. 
Um, but now we are rolling back into, or we're trying to roll back into some sense of normalcy, if you will, uh, with having folks come in. We're now having jurors return back to the to the courthouse and actually trying cases again, which is a good thing because it's nothing like seeing things in person. Of course, of course. Do you think um, some of the changes that have been implemented as a result of COVID should stay around? And if so, like which ones do you think are probably the best for the people, for judges and all of that? You know, because I think there was a lot of hesitancy, like how do we wait a sit in traffic? <laughs> so there's, you know. Yeah, it's, well, you know what, it's, it's really, amazing how we all really adapted so quickly to Zoom. Because when we initially shut down, everyone was working from home. So um, for a period of time, we were not um, issuing bench warrants for failure to appear. A lot of times we were issuing um, defense continuances. And then we gradually resumed in-person court uh, last year, I think we went back, it may have been June of last year, but we sort of been, you know, it's been going like this, up and down, up and down. Right. Uh, but we, we figured that we figured it out. We figured it out that we can have court virtually. Do I think it's the best thing? Do I think that it's going to stay? I think it's going to stay, but I don't necessarily feel that it is the best thing because the best thing is to be in person. And I think that that is what is shared with by both prosecutors and private attorneys and public defenders. It's nothing like being in person. And also we have young litigators, right, from the public defender's office and the state attorney's office. This is their first time being in court. And they are entrusted with such a great responsibility. They're dealing with folks' lives. And we want our young litigators to be able to have that opportunity to come in court and know this is where the clerk is. This is where the bailiff is. This is your jury box. And just coming before the court. It's a big difference between arguing on Zoom, right? And being there in person dressed in your suit or your suit with a tie. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you think about it, this pandemic has been around since mid 2020. And there are people who started their career in criminal litigation in 2020 and had never had a live trial because there was right. no live court. So it's just kind of, it kind of boggles the mind. And I know that that has affected morale on both sides, kind of like, mm -hmm. And even I would think for judges too, like, listen, I want to be in the middle of the action and all of that. So definitely a lot of adapting that had to happen. Um, but we're making history though, right? That we're we are. making history because 20 years from now, people are going to look back on us and say, well, wow, this is how Zoom started. And I think Zoom is going to stay and maybe minimalized a bit. Um, I don't know if we'll end up having night court. You never know. <laughs> Let's like, see who's gonna right, I'm too excited now. Huh? Keep the Zoom thing, but not at 9 p.m. at night. No, no, no. <laughs> but you know, but you know, it's interesting because with Zoom court, it allows people to 
go to work and step out as opposed to missing a whole day of work. And sometimes I have to remind folks when they're on uh, camera, they're like, oh, I have to go back to work. But I'm, uh, but I always say, well, just remember before Zoom, you didn't have that opportunity to just take off 30 minutes per court or an hour of court. You have to take off the entire day. Mm-hmm. So I think you're doing okay. <laughs> sometimes a little perspective is all that's needed, right? I mean, <laughs> so. And a lot of times too, I find that in criminal court, a lot of folks just want to be heard. Sometimes they want to share too much and I have to remind them <laughs> that the prosecutor is listening to everything you, you're saying. So you have to be mindful and sometimes it's best just to, do more listening than talking, but I always make sure that folks that appear in front of me know that I am going to listen to their concerns, what they have to share. And that is so key. That is so key. I mean, that to me is one of the biggest qualifications and one of the biggest skills that the judge has to have is that ability to listen and be patient, right? Because not everybody can, you know, get to the point super quick and sharp and just like that, they may tell you a rambling story and you've got to read through all of that to kind of, you know, figure out what their point is and what they're trying to communicate so that that way they can feel heard and justice can really be served. So absolutely. absolutely. So listen, I know you are on the road. So tell us a little bit about your uh, campaign website. How can people find you if they want to learn more about you or support? Oh, well, thank you, Melba. You know, Anyone that wants to learn more about me, they can go right to my uh, campaign website uh, and learn more about me, where I've come from, what I do in the community. Um, uh, keep Judge Julie <laughs> and Google it. It's it's just so e- it's it's so easy. You want to learn about me? Go Google me. You can find out how you can help the campaign by you know signing up to be a volunteer. Uh, and spreading the word, getting the word out. And if anyone wants to always come in and observe, they can always log on to Zoom. And you can do that by just going to the website again and um, or just calling the my judicial assistant and asking them to Zoom in. I like for young um, litigators as well as young students to feel free to Zoom in because where else can you get this experience by you know, actually watching real court. And you can do that in criminal court. I'm not sure um, how that works with civil because I am in criminal, but I have um, every day I handle, you know, um, at least 80 cases, 70 to 80 cases a day. And we can have as many as um, 50 to 60 people on the screen, just zooming in and watching. Uh, and if you want to zoom in and be an observer, you can do that too. I think that is an amazing invitation because so many times folks don't know what goes on in court. It's sort of like you go if you have a case or, you know, if a loved one is involved in the system, but the average person should be watching court. And I don't mean like TV court, right? Cause some of that is the drama that's not based in real life. <laughs> Let me just leave it at that. But 
watching these court proceedings, since you don't have to actually take off work and physically be in the courthouse, you could be at your desk working on something and then listening to a court hearing just to understand what the judge is about. You know, that's a good way to educate yourself on who's on the ballot and what kind of demeanor they have when it comes to dealing with the public, which is super important. So y'all, I'm going to drop her website in the comments. If you're listening on the podcast, it's going to be in the description. Um, and if you're on YouTube, I'm going to drop it in the comments there as well. Same for Twitter. Uh, make sure, number one, learn more about her and all the judges that are coming on this month. Number two, donate because campaigns aren't free. I can tell you I ran one. <laughs> so campaigns aren't free. And the money that comes in has to go to campaign things. So signs, you know, advertising, that kind of thing. Like the candidates do not make money off of it. And the candidates can use their own money, but that becomes really stressful because you still have to maintain your life, right? You've got a family and stuff to provide for. So that's why donations are so, so important. So please, if you can, no amount is too little. The maximum is $1,000. You have to be a U.S living in the US, you cannot be outside of the country, but you can donate from anywhere in the United States to help support her and other amazing judges. But today is all about Judge Julie Harris Nelson. Thank you so much for coming on Mondays with Melba and for being the amazing sister that you are. Melba, you are amazing. And thank you for giving back to this community for so many years, you know, I admire the work that you've done in the community with giving back, leading Gwen Cherry, uh, Black Women Lawyers Association. We thank you. You're the best, sis. Thank you. And y'all, thank you for tuning in. Please like, comment, share, get the word out there, and stay tuned for another amazing judge next Monday. So thank you all, and see you next Monday. <laughs> Good night.